0: one of the world's most expensive cities comes into question, um, and I think the long-term prognosis is is not great.
1: Brock, it's always interesting to hear your thoughts. Thanks very much indeed. That's Brock Silvers, who's Chief Investment Officer at Adamas Asset Management. You're listening to Money Talk on RTHK Radio 3. Let's take a look at the markets again this morning. In Australia, first of all, the SX200 is down 1%. Over in Japan, the Nikkei 225 is off about half a percent, half an hour into trading. The Cosby in South Korea also down half a percent. And futures markets indicating the Hang Seng is going to lose about 300 points at the open. That's about 1.3%. We are seeing a big rally in gold this morning. It's trading at $1,750 an ounce right now. Uh, Brent crude oil also up slightly uh, on the new close, trading at $42.40 a barrel. Not much movement in the currency markets. The US dollars at 106.8 Japanese yen. Do stay tuned for Back Chats with Hugh Chiverton and Mike Rouse after the news. The weather forecast for today, mainly fine and very hot with isolated showers. The maximum temperature is going to be around 33 degrees and the outlook is for it to be hot with sunny periods and isolated showers this week. There is a very hot weather warning in force. The temperature right now, 29 degrees, 81% relative humidity. Just gone 8.31, here's Susan Lavender with a half-hour news.
2: The World Health Organization has recorded the biggest one-day increase in coronavirus cases, with the Americas responsible for most of the new infections. The agency said over 183,000 new cases were reported in 24 hours, more than two-thirds of them from North and South America. The United States remains the worst affected country, with over 2 million confirmed cases. Brazil has more than a million infections and over 50,000 deaths. Here's the BBC's Katie Watson. Brazil has hit two grim milestones in a matter of days, but not even these numbers are prompting the president to change course. Jair Bolsonaro says little about those who've lost their lives. Instead, he keeps repeating the message that Brazil cannot stop. The economy should reopen and the country needs to return to normality. But there's no normal when there are more than one million infections and 50,000 people dead. Brazil is in the middle of this crisis and so many people here feel they're lacking a leader to get through it. All the while, the numbers keep going up and up. Senior U.S. Democrats have said the Attorney General, William Barr, should be impeached for sacking a top prosecutor who was investigating President Trump's close allies. But the Chair of the House Judiciary Committee, Gerald Nadler, acknowledged the Republican-controlled Senate would never convict Mr. Barr. The prosecutor, Jeffrey Berman, was dismissed after initially refusing to resign. No reason was given, but Mr. Berman was investigating the President's current lawyer, Rudy Giuliani, and had successfully prosecuted His former lawyer, Michael Cohen, the New York Senator Chuck Schumer said questions remained over the prosecutor's sacking.
3: Mr. Berman's been a well-regarded public servant who was doing his job well. Was he fired because of criminal investigations he was conducting into Mr. Trump or his associates? The president has certainly been known to fire others in order to interfere in their investigations, including FBI Director Comey and numerous inspector generals.
2: The fire department in Tulsa, Oklahoma, says just over 6,000 people attended President Trump's campaign rally there on Saturday, filling about one third of the venue's capacity. The Trump campaign expected many more visitors and later blamed hostile protesters and media for the lower than expected attendance. The BBC's Peter Bowes has this report.
4: The organisers said they'd received 800,000 applications for tickets, so many that a second outdoor stage was set up for the president to address people that were unable to access the main arena. But the expected crowds failed to show up, and the extra stage was dismantled before Mr Trump's arrival in Tulsa. It's now emerged that there was an orchestrated campaign by users of the video sharing app TikTok to sabotage the event. The Democratic Congresswoman Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez tweeted that the president had been tricked into believing a million people wanted to attend.
2: You're listening to the news on RTHK.
5: Good morning and welcome to Back Chat. I'm Hugh Chiverton, your co-host today is Mike Rouse. Mike, good morning to you. Good morning, Hugh. So, the NPC Standing Committee has revealed much of what's in the draft law on safeguarding national security in Hong Kong. An office here would be formed to monitor, supervise, coordinate and support the local administration in defending national security, according to Xinhua. There will also be a new committee supervised and accountable to the central government that will be chaired by the CE to safeguard national security the new legislation will also give the power of appointing judges on such cases to the chief executive according to state media in the case of discrepancies between the security law and existing Hong Kong laws provisions in the new legislation shall be adopted. The office and related organs of the central authorities also may exercise jurisdiction over some criminal cases and the law will also stipulate that the government should strengthen supervision and management of schools and other organisations on matters relating to national security. Well, what do you make of it all? Let us know your thoughts. You can leave a message on our Facebook page, Bankchat and RTHK Radio 3. You can email Chat at rthk.hk or call us on 233-88266, 233 Later, we're going to be talking about the China-India clashes on the border that happened last week. We'll be joined for the programme now, most of the programme, by Henry Little. Uh, a former judge of the Court of Final Appeal, and by Joseph Cheng, a former professor of politics at City University. Uh, just before we get into to that discussion, um, some uh, email comments. First of all, uh on uh this is from Herman uh, who says a caller demanding that people submitting comments reveal their addresses personal details etc because he did not agree with the viewpoints of some listeners smacked of the authoritarian practices of Nazi Germany or was he just keen to establish his authoritarian cred and expose his double standards that a precondition of disagreement with him requires submission of various details but agreement does not uh Better yet, why didn't this caller set an example by providing his ID details, proof of address and evidence that he is a genuine caller and not a member of a journalist group or RTHK and did not pre-plan the call with Mr Chiverton simply to give the latter a soapbox from which he could articulate that RTHK fairly offers a platform where opposing views can be aired, which he did a good job of. It comes from, from uh, Herman. I think it was an email, actually, uh, Herman, uh, and um, he did actually give uh, D, he actually gave a phone number. I didn't... Follow it up, as I say, for other places like uh, the newspapers, like South China Morning Post, if you write a letter to them, they will. F- you have to supply a phone numbers. I understand it. They will phone you up and they will check you and, and, and so on. But we, we don't operate like that. There are different ways to do it. Matthew says uh, in an email, after months of being subjected to to the tone-deaf smell of pineapple buns in the morning propaganda ad on RTHK and elsewhere. We now have a without country, there is no family in order to persuade us to love the national security law. Initially, I thought this must be another awkward translation from Chinese, however, I checked, and it's equally nonsensical and offensive. Apart from being factually incorrect, it's also potentially discriminatory. I wonder how refugees or asylum seekers' families would feel upon learning that without a country, they have no family. I'm surprised this ad passes RTHK's broadcasting st- standards. Uh, uh, This uh, Phil says, I'm pleased to see the streets of Hong Kong have returned to some normality. The introduction of the new security laws has clearly had the correct effect. Let's hope the details are sensible. Uh, Some time ago, I heard that China was looking to extend for another 50 years the one country, two systems policy beyond 2047 provided Hong Kong was stable. Uh, That What Hong Kong needs now is Mr. Xi to visit Hong Kong and address the public that China is committed to one country, two systems, and reassure people their future would be fine and the present system will be extended beyond 2047. And Bowen says the best way to evaluate the arguments that the scheduled national security law is an inevitable response to recent turmoil is to adopt the chronological approach. We've got to the current tense situation because of past official actions like the liaison offices' interference in local affairs co-location and the extradition bill, which were not occasioned by real security needs, apart from also being breaches of the basic law. The new law is therefore designed to eliminate possible opposition to similarly or more aggressive government measures in future, which, as in the past, need not be related to national security, unlike national security legislations in other jurisdictions. Uh, The bottom line of the new law was spelt out last Saturday – Uh, in the report in Xinhua which says, quote, for Hong Kong laws that are not in line with this impending national security law, this law's requirements will apply, unquote. As Article 39 of the Basic Law itself stipulates that the provisions of the ICCPR shall be implemented through the laws of the SAR and the laws of the SAR are explicitly said to be inapplicable where they are not in line with the new law, it ought to be clear which will be the ultimate standard to adhere to when there are conflicts, as there could well be in this regard. We need to remember that the numerous protections in our criminal procedures which are not limited to the presumption of innocence and the right to make a defence are afforded by, for example, Article 14 of the ICCPR as implemented through the local laws only. Lao Tzu said last Thursday the CPG was likely to use fast strokes to cut through the tangled web, but fast strokes are unlikely to be compatible with a thorough consideration of the need for constitutional entrenchment of all the legal safeguards, including those enumerated in Article 14 of the ICCPR, and with well-considered treatment of the legal terms involved, including the definitions of the acts and mental elements required for the offences if the strokes are fast enough they might even fail a mature legal system like ours particularly if among others key definitions and draconian provisions were left to be supplied by mpcsc interpretations in in accordance with the political needs of the day in future that's from bowen uh henry listen good morning to you Good morning to you. Thank you very much indeed for for joining us. Uh, What do you make of what we've learned about uh, what's going to be in this law?
6: Well, it's difficult to comment on individual items of the proposal because um, the legislation hasn't been uh, published as yet. And as you know, the devil is in the details. But if one just looks at this situation globally... Now, this is how I view it. It has always been a balance between a high degree of autonomy for Hong Kong and national sovereignty. I mean, that's the essence of the one country, two systems formula. But, of course, as time goes on, such balance will need to be, uh, to be uh, adjusted. And uh, there's uh, no such thing as a society... Fixed in time. If that were so, it would be a moribund society. So the need to calibrate from time to time, I think, is obvious. And the power to recalibrate this, of course, in Beijing. Now, whether the recalibration, which is now taking place, and will emerge shortly in the, term, in the form of legislation to be put into annex. Free of the basic law, uh, we really need to wait for that to form any real judgment. Uh, in your introduction, I think you mentioned a couple of new organs to be um, instituted. One is the commission set up in Hong Kong uh, to be chaired by the chief executive, amongst whom it is said uh, she has power to appoint designated judges to provide to preside over cases that's one of the things you mentioned the other is um, the um, office of national security uh, Commission to be set up uh, in Hong Kong to analyze national security situations and monitor supervise etc uh, to support Hong Kong government's efforts. Uh, to deal with um, things like um, foreign interfe- interference in Hong Kong's affairs uh, and perhaps collusion by people in Hong Kong with, with such uh, foreign elements. Now, these are matters of uh, principle at the moment. And until we see the details on it, it's very, very difficult to, to comment. But one thing is sure, whatever process is initiated for, say, trial of criminal matters on the mainland, that would begin with an act of detention of the uh, Hong Kong resident. Now, immediately, common law kicks in. And there's such a thing as the writ of habeas corpus, who requires the person um, exercising powers of detention to bring the person before the court immediately to explain why that person is being detained now as we all know the writ of habeas corpus is probably the first thing to go when a supposedly democratic society turns uh, autocratic as happened for example in the philippines in 1971 and about the first thing that um, Marcos did when he was on the road to to a military dictatorship was to, um, as he called it, suspend the writ of habeas corpus. Now, that will not happen in Hong Kong.
5: How do you know... Sorry, Miss Litton, how do you know it won't happen?
6: Well, if that were to happen, then, of course, uh, what uh governor previous governor Patton had said for example that would be the tearing up of the joint declaration and abnegation of the basis of the arrangement um of course that would and that would mean in effect the elimination of one of the fundamental safeguards of the common but,
5: law. but but you accept that it's uh, that in yeah. some cases but, but as, as my understanding is that in some cases the jurisdiction will come from the mainland where uh, correct me if I'm wrong, her habeas corpus is, is, that you're talking about doesn't apply, is that right? Well,
6: that's exactly why I say that one really needs to look at the details. They are.
5: But you, you express confidence scenarios. that that won't happen, but I'm saying that the, the indication, well, we've learned that there will be cases where the jurisdiction will rest with the mainland.
6: Well, no, you, you need to actually look at it a bit more closely. When you say that jurisdiction remains in the mainland, do you mean the jurisdiction to try cases in the mainland by an, a process which is initiated in Hong Kong? That is to say, a Hong Kong resident is is brought into detention by a Hong Kong agency, that is as a police pending um, uh, extradition to the mainland for far.
3: now is that what you're talking about well mr head good morning um one thing underlying Hugh's questions and your answers which baffles me is this is a huge piece of legislation to apply to hong kong and hong kong's not being consulted on it there's there's no draft law there's no white bill no blue bill nothing for us to comment in we're all speculating what might be in it, how it might work, um, based on comments from pro-mainland academics or uh, the mainland media, we don't know. How, how could we have major legislation like this where, where we can't see a draft?
4: Well,
6: you will see the draft when it's published.
3: Well, when it's finalised, I'm afraid.
6: Well, uh, we'll we'll just have to see what the precise process is, because it is only finalized when it becomes part of Annex 3 of the Basic Law. And it doesn't spring just straight from the uh, bosoms of the uh, drafters into into Annex 3 of the Basic Law. So there will be a draft, and that's what we're all waiting for.
5: Okay, um, Joseph Chang, good morning to you. Good morning. Thanks for joining us. Uh, What do you make of the proposals, what we've learned of the the, uh, draft law?
0: Well, let us go to the very fundamentals. Why do we need this law? Obviously, the protest activities last year cannot, could not, and cannot flatten the stability of the party regime in mainland China. Uh, It is far stronger than that. And, and, of course, Chinese leaders resent the lobbying activities in the, uh, in the Western countries. Again, the law will not be able to prevent this. At least the overseas Hong Kong communities will continue to engage in these lobbying activities. So, so what is the purpose of this national security law? And it is obvious to Hong Kong people that this law is going to affect us, but there is no tax there is no draft. we are all waiting uh, to, to see the draft. All we have until until last last weekend was uh, was a, a note of explanations offered by the legal work commission of the Standing committee of the National people's congress uh, as we all, as we all recognize there are no details and yet the law will likely be endorsed by the national people's congress Standing committee this weekend so it's rather ridiculous rather absurd that tam yu Jong is the only person in hong kong who has read the text and he is not willing to tell us the details and there cannot and uh, anyway according to the that legislation law in China in mainland China there has to be a process of consultation and in this case according to Tam Yu-jong there is no process of consultation and we have very damaging statements from people like Lao Xiu-Gai, who represents Hong Kong on the study of Hong Kong on the study of Hong Kong in in mainland China and he says the Chinese leadership cannot tolerate a majority of the pro-democracy camp uh, in the legislature, it it will act. Uh, at the as you can see now, according to public opinion surveys, sixty four percent of Hong Kong people feel that this law is going to compromise severely the one country two systems model. And uh, if the uh, and and the the idea of this law has much compromised the legitimacy and autonomy of the Carrie Lam administration. The Carrie Lam administration has can say it is ineffective. It has to admit that it is ineffective. And according to Beijing, it is ineffective. And yet, this administration has substantial powers according to the uh, executive-led system of government. It has a majority in the Legislative Council. It enjoys the support of this. And it is backed and served by a very well-trained, very well-equipped police force. And yet it has to say, oh, it is ineffective to deal with legislative matters. Finally, the essential question is, this law will much alienate Hong Kong people. And in fact, it will much encourage and promote the sentiments, the pro-independence sentiments among the young people of Hong Kong. You may stop them from going to the streets, but certainly they are very alienated. And Hong Kong people have been very much alienated.
3: Joseph, Joseph, I I
0: just want one more sentence. The question is, how are you going to have a process of healing
3: and Ah. so On that very point, Joseph, people have gone from Hong Kong to Washington and London and identified officials in Hong Kong and officials in the mainland who should be sanctioned because of their actions uh, under this national security law. They've said, please uh, come intervene. Please, Mr Trump, save us. Please, Mr Pompeo, form, former head of the CIA, um, people will be holding up placards asking for American marines to come and save Hong Kong. Was this wise? Was, was, is this normal behaviour?
0: No, this is not wise. Uh, I do not engage in such activities. But these activities reflect the sense of desperation and hopelessness on the part of the community. They feel that one million people march in the streets to protest, two million people march in the streets to protest, no action from the government at all. Even the very humble bequest of setting up an independent commission of investigation has been rejected. And even the promise on the part of the government to have an uh, independent commission of uh, study uh, has now been shelved. So that is exactly why in this desperation, in the frustration and disappointment, they say, ah, oh, let's seek help from Western governments. And of course, in, in, in the process, they are trying to seek help from Taiwan so that people can go to Taiwan more easily. They appeal to the British government to allow P N O passport holders to have the right of a boat in the UK and so on. So this is an act of Desperation. And that is exactly why I say a process of healing, a process of reconciliation is essential. Right. If you force people into that kind of desperation, you have the kind of scenario of lobbying the Western governments to intervene to sanction Hong Kong government officials.
5: Henry Lytton, you, know, you spoke at the beginning about, about the, uh, the need, you know, occasionally after you know, some 20 years or something, to reset the relationship between uh, Hong Kong and, the, and, the, and Beijing, uh, and, uh, Hong Kong and the mainland, uh, effectively. Does that, uh, I mean, maybe ending one country, two systems is a dramatic way to put it, but does it amount in the end to uh, really the end of one country, two systems? Because there is going to be very, very direct uh, supervision of uh, the most important aspects of life in Hong Kong. I mean, this has been, you know, this has been described by Beijing as the most significant uh, development since the handover. Uh, Does it amount to really no more one country, two systems?
6: Well, look, um, I think this is part of the problem, that from a technical issue, one comes to huge banner headline like, This is the end of Hong Kong. I think everyone should look at this calmly. Now, we are actually dealing with one issue only, national security. And there are existing laws in the statute books of Hong Kong Dealing with that very issue, national security. is in part one of the crimes ordinance.
5: I mean, is because this is, this, ord- is, this is what the head of the liaison office has said. This is the, the most significant measure taken by the central authorities in handling Hong Kong affairs since reunification. A historic step. So it's a big deal. You know, it is a, it is a headline story.
6: Yes, it, it, it is. But it is not the end of Hong Kong. And, and this is, you know, the the dialogue now has, has shifted uh, to to that level. And, and uh, your last speaker was talking about, you know, people's desperation driving them to in, in, invite American Marines to land on the shores of Hong Kong. You know, this is this is ridiculous. This is this is uh, people have lost their heads. One has to look at this in a sensible way, and. As I said at the beginning, unquestionably, the relationship between uh, a high degree of autonomy on one hand and national sovereignty, on the other hand, is a very delicate balance. And that must surely, as time goes on, require readjustment, recalibration, as I I put it. But
0: But there is no balance, unfortunately. You see, we are simple. We, We don't know the tax of the law And yet, we are told probably the law will be finalized, will be endorsed by the National People's Congress Standing Committee in this weekend, and then it will become law in Hong Kong. It will become law in Hong Kong. This is certainly much more than national security. It has to do with the rule of law in Hong Kong. It has to do with the limited democracy that we have. And certainly, it is going to have a severe impact on the Legislative Council elections to be held in September already uh, it has been made known that uh, uh, according to the United Front leaders uh, uh, in Hong Kong that a lot of these candidates will have to uh, from the pro-democracy camp will be disqualified they can't stand and this is exactly what has driven people in Hong Kong to this desperation and you, you, see, you look at the slogans on the part of the young people in Hong Kong and they are becoming more and more radical. That is exactly why when I say that the balance has been lost and the people has, have been driven to acts of desperation, especially on the part of Hong Kong people. And there's no process of healing, no process, no process of reconciliation. Beijing and the Hong Kong government, is basic, uh, they are basically telling Hong Kong people, no, no dialogue, no consultation, and there is only going to be a crackdown.
5: OK, some uh, comment from listeners take us up to the news. At nine o'clock, uh, Tony, in an email, says Carrie Lam does not even write her own speeches anymore, which is telling. We've gone from a campaign slogan, Let's Connect, to describing those against the national security law t- as being enemies of the people, as Lam refers to opponents. Dire words from a dire leader in dire straits. That's from uh, Tony. Jalal says it looks like the MPCSC intends to ignore Basic Law Articles 11, 18, 19, 19 22 23 39 63 81 85 87 the proposals are for the proposals are for executive selected judges presiding in star chamber courts using a draconian and amorphous law that was written in beijing with the secret police enforcing it i guess bakari was right about a storm coming and alan says uh if you have any guests who are pro-government ask them to explain just how this law would help hong kong if the answer is it will stop violence that's absurd violent protest is already illegal and thousands have been arrested. I'm sure it will provoke a new wave of protests. If the answer is it'll stop foreign interference, ask them exactly how this act will make any difference, what proof anyone has presented that there's ever been a protest act directed by a black hand. That comes uh, from Alan, our email. Once again, back at rthk.hk. More in just a moment. After the news, the weather mainly fine and very hot with isolated showers 30 degrees. Now humidity
4: is at 79%. TikTok to sabotage the event. The Democratic Congresswoman, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, tweeted that the president had been tricked into believing a million people wanted to attend.
2: You're listening to the news on RTHK. (laughs)
5: Welcome back This is backchat on a Monday morning, first one of the week, with Mike Rouse and me, Hugh Chivers, and we're talking about the uh, uh, what we've learnt of the uh, draft law on safeguarding national security in Hong Kong, revealed um, through uh, Xinhua from the National Standing, the NPC Standing Committee, um, over the weekend. Later, we're also going to be talking about uh, those uh, extraordinary, uh, that extraordinary clash, that fight between China and India on the border um, last week. Uh, as ever, our telephone number is two three three eight eight two six six. You can email backchat at rthk.hk. You can go to our Facebook page and comment there as well. That's Backchat and RTHK Radio 3. Joining us now we have Henry Litton, a former judge of the Court of Final Appeal, and Joseph Cheng, a former professor of politics at City University. Um, A caller off-air... Uh, said that uh, he said he had businesses in China so he didn't want to come on air, uh, and also said Backchat would be gone in two years. Uh, asked why Backchat never challenges pro authoritarian guests. What are the evidences of foreign interference and terrorism? Uh, incidents in Minnesota have 10 times more damage. Uh, as I say it was uh, Ed uh, off air and uh, comments on our Facebook page Uh, TC says rather than the minute details of the national security legislation I view this from the context of current Sino-American relations. My view is that what China is doing to Hong Kong to be commonplace among non-democratic regimes facing external threats. It's also a form of economic mutually assured destruction. Uh, Yu has a link to a story about Carrie Lam uh, from the uh, Atlantic as well, and says this is worth reading. It sheds light on how the uh, man brackets woman of guilt in, Hong- in history has led to the current social unrest, that Hong Kong is losing its competitive uh, edge. Uh, and uh, TC also responds on that. Bankchat.hthk.hk is our email address. Uh,
3: Mr. Well, uh, welcome back. Um, you're formerly a uh, former judge of the Court of Final Appeal in Hong Kong one of the most troubling aspects of this is this idea that the chief executive can select judges to hear particular cases. That's directly against the independent judiciary, surely?
6: Um, I'm not sure that it's against an independent judiciary, but this is different from the uh, process as exists at the moment, because under... Uh, article 88 uh, of the basic law, it is, of course, the chief executive who appoints um, judges, but on the recommendation of an independent commission. Now, so the idea that the chief executive appoints judges is, is, is not new. It's something that uh, exists in, in, in uh, every common law jurisdiction. But how that process is actually um, engineered is a different issue. We don't know at the moment whether um, the power uh, to appoint designated judges to preside over national security cases is simply a personal decision, or whether it needs the um, uh, advice or recommendation of uh, some other body, Um, we'll have to wait and see.
3: Including but the Mainland Commission.
6: That, well, we don't know. Uh, well, you, you, yes, I mean, put a label upon it and call it Mainland Commission. Um, doesn't say very much, does it? Well, according
0: to Tam Yu according to his press conference yesterday, he explained that this was a compromise. The compromise was that, on one hand, People would like to see the original practice, as described just now, being maintained. And on the other hand, there are views, according to, uh, to Yip Kok Kim, an executive counsellor in Hong Kong and a member to the National People's Congress, he suggested that there should be special judges and special courts to handle uh, national security cases. So as a result, uh, according to Tam Yu jong, now you have this balance. I would like to go back to the habeas corpus issue raised by Mr. Litton. You see, again, it has been explained by Tam Yu and other pro-Beijing leaders that the uh, National Security Apparatus Office in Hong Kong has jurisdiction on national security cases although it will exercise with care there will be only a very small number of cases in which the it will exercise this ju- jurisdiction but at least it has the power to send people to to a- enforce the law meaning to make arrests and to take these people to mainland china for trial so according to such an explanation i wonder how can habeas corpus be, be maintained, and this is exactly the scenario that Mr. Litton has just described when President Ferdinand Marcos uh, imposed emergency rule
6: in the Philippines. Mr. Litton? Well, yes, I, 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 I agree with you, uh, um, Professor Cheng, uh, and old friends, by the way. Um, yes, I mean, it's very troubling indeed if the proposal is that there is an agency uh, in hong kong which in fact is uh, exercising a jurisdiction outside of the common law and uh, not within the reach of a common law for the protection of basic human rights i mean if, if that were the situation um then that is very troubling indeed now i uh, <laughs> i don't I'm, mr tam jong is a, a very honorable and uh uh worthy person and but he, he is simply giving a view uh of, of, of the legislation and as i said you know i think we need to wait to see the details before we sound start sounding the 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 alarm bells
3: but the but the a police officer, a Hong Kong police officer, is subjected to a writ of habeas corpus. He must bring the prisoner before the court and says, well, we've been told by uh, our advisor from Beijing that this person is a threat to national security, so we've arrested him. Um, and When the judge says, well, what's the evidence against him? They say, well, all we've got is this certificate from the, from the mainland <laughs> bureau. Uh, saying that he's a threat to national security. And the judge is surely going to say, well, what's the evidence?
6: Well, uh, I mean, it's it's very difficult to actually judge an issue. And you you put up before me a specific case um, upon (laughs) suppositions. I'm sorry to say, judges don't operate uh, like that at all. Right. Well, Uh, the unfortunate thing is that when we discuss
0: all these important, important issues in a vacuum, uh, there is a definite scenario that the Standing Committee of the National People's Congress will meet uh, on Sunday, this weekend, uh, uh, this coming weekend, and then the law will be approved and then it will be imposed on Hong Kong. And as, as explained by Tam Chung and many so many pro-Beijing United Front leaders in Hong Kong, the idea is to have the law as soon as possible. So there is no discussion. As we were saying, according to the legislation law in mainland China, there should be a process of consultation. And now Tam Chung has told us there will be no uh, process of consultation, and this is quite absurd. This affects Hong Kong people in such an important manner, and then and there is no process of consultation. So, this is a very dangerous well,
6: scenario. Yes, now you speak as soon as possible, yes, uh, as soon as possible after 23 years. I mean, Article 23 of the Basic Law is quite clear that it is Hong Kong's responsibility to enact national security laws dealing with a range of subjects which is now being dealt with. Now, uh, the Hong Kong government put up a consultation paper in uh, September 2002, uh, widely consulted. I'm sure that uh, Professor Cheng would have been one of those consulted and expressed his views. The matter went before the Legislative Council in February 2003. And what happened? It failed. To proceed then two decades then followed with successive number uh, chief executives being appointed and until of course the crisis then hit the streets of Hong Kong in June last year when it became increasingly obvious that national security is at risk and there you have the organ of Hong Kong government unable to function that is to say the Legislative Council what is the sovereign power to do Well, to beat the crisis?
0: The, the Article 23 legislation failed to be promulgated, as we all know, because of the tremendous uh, protest rally on July 1, 2003, and that exerted a lot of pressure on the Liberal Party. Representing the economic and financial interests of the territory, the Liberal Party refused to support Six Strong's. uh, his his action to introduce the legislation to the Legislative Council, and it was the defection of the Liberal Party, a conservative and pro-business party, which actually resulted in the failure of the law to be promulgated in the Legislative Council in 2003. And now, at the same time, Uh, We see that the national anthem legislation has gone through the Legislative Council, Uh, so there is no reason why the law should now be imposed by Beijing on Hong Kong, which is now perceived as the end of the one country, two systems model, because now this has set a precedent, and it has been made known by Chinese officials that this is going to be a precedent On This is a precedent, meaning that there will be repeated exercises in the future.
3: Would you advocate, Joseph, that we very rapidly draft and enact our own national security legislation now?
0: I think suggestion of this kind is futile uh, I, I don't think anyone in Hong Kong genuinely believes that the law will not be prom- promulgated in the near future as I as I was saying the basic issue is why does the Hong Kong government refuse a process of dialogue consultation reconciliation but we still have and to now- do our
3: own legislation even if this thing is injected into uh, uh- Annex 3 is still a requirement for Hong Kong to do its own legislation because uh, what's being drafted, we're told, only covers four offences. It doesn't cover all ten things that uh, require legislation. Yes, but
0: this is in addition to the national security law to be promulgated. So this is something... Probably even worse. The the fact remains we can't avoid the scenario of having a national security law imposed on Hong Kong by Beijing. Uh,
5: Mr. Litten, I, I, I think uh, some people, even uh, most people, perhaps in in Hong Kong, are uh, uh, maybe very disappointed by this. They will say, "Look, we've you've given the you've taken away the." The independence of the judiciary. You're bringing in the secret police. You're establishing these agencies and a commission which are supervised directly from Beijing. Uh, all this amounts to a very, very fundamental change in Hong Kong, and you're, you're giving a very, very broad brief uh, to, um, you know, in, in, the, in the mainland way, to all kinds of crimes. This is likely to be used to. Uh, Make a lot of people ineligible to stand um a, a lot of journalists and so on are concerned that it's having a, it would have a chilling effect uh on uh, civic society in Hong Kong and free debate in a program like this and here you are you're you're selling us out where people will say um, you 're supposed to be a champion a a guardian of the rule of law in Hong Kong, and you 're sitting by and letting it all fall apart <laughs> Mr Litton?
6: <laughs> you, you, you think that uh, I have the powers of one-man rule, do you?
5: <laughs> you have the power well, to on. speak um, the truth. You have the power to say what you like.
6: Well, exactly, and, and I've exactly d- done that. Um, yet, if the scenario, as you, you've painted so graphically, were to uh, emerge, then that would be extremely troubling hmm. indeed. I wholly agree with you. But that—that—that that, that is really using hyperbole uh, instead of legislation. Now, coming back to um, what happened in uh, 2003, yes, there was a, a, um, a bill which would have satisfied Article 23, um, and it was, as uh, Joseph Cheng just mentioned, the um, defection, as he called it, of the Liberal Party. Well, what they did was to uh, abstain from voting, and that uh, swung the balance in favour of those uh, rejecting the, the, uh, the proposal.
3: Now, didn't, didn't Jimmy uh, also quit the Executive Council? Yeah, he left Mexico.
6: Yes, he did. Yes, he did. James T. Uh, Now, yes, I mean, in retrospect, I'm sure that he much regretted uh, those positions. But that, that's, that's water under the bridge. Any time thereafter, uh, Hong Kong could have, in fact, fulfilled, uh, fulfilled its obligation under Article 23. And even now, as you said, there is no reason why an emergency session of legislature cannot be intervened and to pass national security laws. Even now, today...
5: Uh, Yeah, I mean, finally, of course, Article 23 says that this this legislation has to be passed uh, by Hong Kong on its own. Uh, Isn't what's happening now the complete opposite of that? It's being done by somebody else.
0: Well, this is certainly a preferred scenario if you can can, uh, get rid of the national security law, but I'm afraid the likelihood is extremely low.
3: Yes, that horse has bolted, I think. Sorry, Mr Lytton, you were going to say something on that point.
6: No, uh, what I was going to say, I've already said, that is to say that even now, today, the Legislative Council can actually, or the President of the Legislative Council, can convene an emergency session of uh, Legislative Council after the blueprint uh, of 2003 is there to be reactivated, perhaps uh, in light of uh, more recent developments, uh, tweaked and, 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 and uh, recalibrated and, and, and passed into law. Yes, and signed yes, I law agree. by you. Oh, and, and in before fact, Carrie Lamb.
0: Carrie Lamb has the already indicated before. He ha- she had indicated that uh, although she was not prepared to introduce the bill into the stage, but work has already begun. During her administration.
3: Okay, well, right. let's
5: yeah. just wrap up with a, with a few more comments from listeners. Drake says, "Was it RFA?" Question mark. Beijing lawyer Wang Jun Chang gave uh, an interview yesterday and recalled how he was tortured into a confession. Please ask Judge Lytton how is such track record of rule by law on the mainland reassuring now they are enforcing their version of legal systems in Hong Kong. Please no more wait and see the draft. Speak up for what you believe, especially for those who are influential. Uh, And Drake also says, no, Judge, no, there was no separatism before the government tried to push through any of the national security-related legislation. Hong Kong would remain peaceful without the ambitions of the individual CE. Talks of having imminent threats to national security is rhetoric. Uh, thank you very much indeed for uh, all those comments this morning and thank you very much indeed to okay. to our guests this morning. Thank to, you for um, the opportunity. Thank you very much indeed. That's uh, Joseph Chang there, uh, former Professor of Politics at City University. And uh, Henry Lytton, thank you very, very much indeed for, for joining us, uh, Mr Lytton, uh, on the line there, uh, a former quarter-final appeal judge uh, in Hong Kong, bringing the time to 22 minutes past nine now. Uh, we wanted to turn uh, finally uh, today to that uh, extraordinary... Uh, face-off that happened uh, last week, Uh, last Monday, uh, uh, between Chinese and uh, Indian uh, troops, uh, uh, which left at least uh, 20 Indian soldiers dead, an unknown number of uh, Chinese uh, casualties. Uh, Joining us on the line to uh, comment is uh, Mark O'Neill, author and uh, China analyst. Uh, Mark, good morning to you. Good morning. Thanks for, much for doing double duty today, I know. My about, pleasure. Talking about the national security legislation and, and uh, China, India. Uh, what was going on there? This, this is an extraordinary, I mean, just the details, of course, of the actual event are, are, are strange enough. But um, why did this burst out in this way?
7: Well, uh, th- this border between China and India has not been decided. They've held dozens of sessions of talks between the two sides, but they've never established what the border is. So it's what's called line of control. So what happens is Indian soldiers, Chinese soldiers patrol near what they believe to be the line of control, and they're not allowed to have uh, firearms with ammunition. So they they patrol, but remember they're using maps, their own maps. There is no defined border, so it's really remarkable this hasn't happened before but what happened on monday night was really extraordinary as you say twenty indian soldiers killed ten indian soldiers captured seventy six indian soldiers injured and some of the dead fell into this river uh, thousands of feet below i mean the most horrific death you can imagine and it's the first fatalities in 45 years which shows the restraint of the soldiers on both sides over all this time. Now, this event has caused enormous outcry in India. And as you know, India is a democratic country, a very lively media and press, and there have been very emotional funerals for for the dead soldiers. And many people are now calling for boycotts of Chinese products and for cancellation of uh, contracts with Chinese companies. Now... The Prime Minister, Mr. Modi, has been in power since 2014, and he's very much tried to mend fences with China. He's allowed 26 billion US dollars worth of Chinese investment into India. Uh, many consumer goods now are dominated by, by Chinese products. So he's really had a honeymoon policy. But what happened last Monday has completely frozen that. And it, it, this is now going to stop because the public outcry is so great. And um, I think uh, there will be boycotts against Chinese products, and some of the contracts that Chinese companies have signed will be, will be uh, torn up. For example, um, May route to Delhi high speed train, that was just signed about a month ago, and there's calls for that contract to, to be torn up.
3: Well, the mainland, Beijing, has been remarkably silent on this.
7: Well, I think it's because. Uh, you know, the, the the Beijing... Well, the Chinese people, like Indian people, are very nationalistic. So if the, the, the mainland media published photographs of the, of the fighting, it showed pictures of the Chinese dead, of the Chinese injured, of course, Chinese people would become very angry. There would be an enormous outcry on social media. So in order to play it down, they've not issued any casualty figure and uh, reported it very briefly. So from the Chinese uh, aspect, they want to to put this behind them, you know, uh, uh, make agreement with the Indian side so this isn't repeated, and carry on the economic and trade ties that were there before.
3: Is, was this an accident, or this a deliberate act by one side or the other, or a commander on the ground?
7: Well, each side blames the other, but, I, I, I mean, for my part, I would sort of blame the political leaders on both sides, because... You know, this terrain is about the worst in the world. It's, it's, it's 4,500 meters above sea level. It's minus 40 degrees in winter. Here are these soldiers trying to operate in these conditions. And as I say, the border is not defined. So the soldiers are carrying with them these maps, which they've been given by their commanders, and uh, are told, you mustn't let the other side enter into our territory. And, of course, it's, it's, uh, such a confrontation is very easy to to occur.
3: And no no guns with bullets, only clubs with spikes.
7: Well, that, that's what makes it the more awful, I mean, the more graphic. Because, yes, they were fighting with bare hands, with clubs, with barbed wire on it. And th- th- I've seen footage of this, you know, which on the Internet. So people in India, well, people in the outside world have seen this kind of footage. So you can imagine the response this has drawn from ordinary people in India.
5: Will it die down, do you think? Do you think that uh, the people, the leaders, will want this to uh, die away, and it will?
7: Well, I think I don't think we'll have incidents like that again mm. because it's, it was so awful. So I think the commanders on the two sides, well, they have had talks, and they will prevent a, a recurrence. But unfortunately, it has changed things in India. So it will not be policy as before, and there will be a new look at Chinese products, Chinese um, investments. Um, India runs a huge trade deficit with China, in fact. It's trade deficit with China is bigger than with any other country. So, actually there's quite a persuasive case by by Indian manufacturers to say, you should buy our goods and not Chinese ones.
3: So this wasn't in China's interest to do this? If no, it, no. I, mean, I, say, I, I don't want
7: to blame one side or the other. I don't think it, it was it, it was planned by one side or the other. I just say it, it was an accident waiting to happen. In those conditions, with the border unclear, um, it was at night time. Um, you know, uh, uh, who knows where anybody is. You know, the, the the Indians put up tents here. The Chinese side put up tents there. Um, it's very easy for a misunderstanding to happen, for two people to start fighting, and then we have a general fight.
5: Uh, How has it been recorded on the mainland? How has it been uh, reported? Very, very
7: little. Mm. I mean, it was reported as uh, an incident had occurred, Um, uh, there were Chinese casualties, Um, the the, the Chinese government said, we are having talks to to prevent this happening again. Uh, um, It blamed the Indian side for, for the incident but uh, as I say, very, very restrained, and none of the color or, or the, 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 the drama which is seen on the Indian side
5: OK, well, thank you very much indeed for uh, joining us. Mark O'Neill uh, on the line there, uh, author and uh, political commentator. Uh, some uh, emails to uh, finish off on our earlier discussion. Bowen says, I feel quite unable to agree with Mr Litton's explanation that balance of autonomy versus sovereignty would need to be adjusted after the handover if that adjustment was to result in a breach of China's obligations towards Hong Kong and the UK under the Joint Declaration of the Basic Law. I once tried to explain the social contract in Hong Kong in another show, Radio 3. Before the handover, the social contract was that the British would provide good governance and a good measure of freedom, and the local population agreed to be essentially second-class citizens, docile and a bit little daft. Both sides largely kept their promises, and a prosperous and stable city came into being. After the handover, the social contract has been for the authorities to keep the terms of the Joint Declaration of the Basic Law, and for the locals to remain as civil and cooperative as they had been. For the first 15 years after the handover, that was done, and the police was largely preserved. But since about 2012, the authorities have acted increasingly aggressively in breaching their obligations under the two mentioned legally binding documents, culminating in the extradition bill crisis last year. After which, people naturally felt that the social contract had been blatantly breached. Hence, the protests and eruptions on the street. That comes uh, from Bowen, Peter. Uh, let's maybe just. Uh, Uh, This is from Matthew, uh, who says uh, learned Hong Kong people like Henry Lytton, who use their status and eloquent words to attempt to smooth over the CCP's actions in pursuit of their own self-interest, are core to the reason why Hong Kong people have been forced to go overseas to seek assistance. Henry and so many others have betrayed their own people. I guess history will remember them as the traitors. And Peter M says it would seem the Carrie Lamb administration has presided over the end of of the Hong Kong that was handed back to China in ninety seven. The reports of the draft national security law point to the implementation of something akin to the mainland national security apparatus in Hong Kong, the official intervention into the independence of the judiciary by the executive through the selection of judges to hear national security cases, a backdoor extradition arrangement for some cases, and the overriding of Hong Kong laws that may be inconsistent with this law, among various other measures all point to a distortion of the legal system handed back in 1997. Given that the legal system and the rule of law as we know them have always been held up as fundamental to Hong Kong's success and way of life, there is little room for optimism as to how this will play out. That comes from Peter M. Thank you very much indeed for that. Uh, Mike, many thanks to you. These weighty issues, Hugh, every Monday. Is
3: is Hong Kong ready for us?
5: <laughs> Brace, because uh, there's plenty more coming. Well, until, yeah, until we... Until Until we're not allowed to talk about it anymore.
3: (laughs) Until the show is cancelled. Until
5: the show is cancelled, yeah, or RTHK. Anyway, uh, there's a very hot weather warning, which seems appropriate. Uh, Mainly fine, very hot today with uh, isolated showers. Temperatures uh, up to about 33 degrees. The outlook hot. The sunny periods and isolated showers this week, 30 degrees now. Relative humidity is 77%. Hi, I'm Lazy Lion. To fight this pandemic, take preventive measures when commuting. Avoid rush hours and busy times and take advantage of flexible working hours. Wear a mask when taking a ride. If to ventilate the vehicle, clean your hands with liquid soap and water or alcohol-based hand rub after using public transport or touching public facilities. Social distancing can help prevent the spread of COVID-19. Tips for you and me to prevent COVID-19 thirty three the news now with Susan Lavender.
2: US President Donald Trump has said that he held off imposing tougher sanctions on Beijing officials responsible for a crackdown on Uyghur Muslims because he wanted to seal a trade deal. His comments came after former National Security Advisor John Bolton said in his new book that Mr. Trump had encouraged President Xi Jinping to go ahead with building camps in Xinjiang. The World Health Organization has recorded the biggest one day increase in coronavirus cases, with the Americas responsible for most of the new infections. The agency said over 183,000 new cases were reported in 24 hours, more than two thirds of them from the North and South, uh, from North and South America. Beijing's health authorities have reported nine new cases of the coronavirus today, down from 22 yesterday. The capital has seen 236 infections in the past 11 days after a resurgence of the virus linked to a food market. I'll have more news at 10 o'clock. Stand by for the brew. Uh,
4: sociology prof from the University of Set and Costume Designer. Great mm-hmm. interpreter mm-hmm. of Beethoven. and are oh oh-so-shy, quiet and retiring doggy council. Co-founder of Rockefeller Records. This is a really for adult, It's not really for kids. Yeah, well, it's fun, you know. decipher what's happening behind the myth.
2: Good morning. Interviews and also observations.
4: Absolutely no way.
2: On your radio and live online. This is The Morning Brew.
4: Welcome to a brand new week here on The Morning Brew. Of course, I think I'm Phil Whelan with you until one o'clock. It's a sunny post partial solar eclipse, new Monday morning here on Radio 3, and like the